the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. And on today's program, a conversation with Dr. Claibon Lee, Jr., Senior Pastor of Mount Calvary Baptist Church of Fairfield and Sassoon City. Dr. Lee, a pleasure to have you with us today. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to. It is a rare opportunity to um, talk with a pastor who leads a church that has such an incredible spiritual legacy. I understand, in fact, it was your father, Dr. Claiborne Lee Sr., who first founded the church back in the 1950s. Walk us through some of the history of the impact of this church and ministry in your part of the Bay Area, if you would, please. God led my father, Reverend Cleveland Lee Sr., to uh, embark upon planting a church along with a group of other believers uh, that wanted a church in the community. And here we are 60 years later celebrating uh, the faithfulness and the goodness of God building on a firm foundation that uh, my father and our founder laid for us. And as a result of that solid foundation, uh, the church is still standing through uh, through wars and through um, viruses and through economic downturns and through uh, banking system failures and all of the vicissitudes of life. Uh, the church still stands, and that's what Jesus promised in Matthew 16 and 18, that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So you literally, as a PK, as a pastor's kid, grew up not only in the church, but in this church specifically. And I would imagine going back through your memory down through a good portion of all of these years, you must have seen some tremendous changes, not only in terms of changes within the body of Christ and the life of of your local church, but as well as some pretty significant changes in the neighborhood and the area in which you minister. Absolutely. Uh, demographics have certainly changed. Um, I was literally born in the church, uh, from, almost from a physical perspective, uh, being the pastor's uh, child, and then was born again and accepted Jesus Christ at the age of 12 in this church. I accepted my call to preach the gospel at age 16 in this church um, and was ordained at 18 in this church um, to uh, be a minister of the gospel. I haven't lived here uh, all of my life. I left after high school and went away to college and seminary and worked on staff at another church, uh, pastored another church on the East Coast, um, earned my first doctorate degree, and then eventually came back home maybe 15 years um, after my initial departure. And so just coming back after being gone for that time allowed me to see a lot of uh, transition, a lot of growth in the area, in the cities um, that our church now exists in, uh, a lot of changing in demographics um, in terms of uh, ethnic makeup and um, economy and business opportunities and things of that nature, um, and then church climate as well and church culture, um, comparing the East Coast to the West Coast uh, has been interesting as well, having pastored now on both coasts. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges facing the church today? And certainly, as I alluded to in my opening remarks, uh, there's a lot going on in the world of news and in society and culture around us today. Certainly, the influence of things like social media has had a big impact. We've also seen a population in the United States that over the 60 years since uh, Mount Calvary has been around uh, has changed dramatically, not only demographically, as you suggest, Dr. Lee, but but also in terms of just the makeup. In other words, 
we tend to be far more mobile than we used to be. There was a time when generations, two and three generations worth, all lived very close together, if not maybe even in the same household. Today, oftentimes, kids grow up never really knowing their grandparents, and I, I wonder if there is some degree to which some of that disconnectivity of the family is having maybe a, a bit of a negative impact on young people growing up today. Well, you just you just said and asked a lot there, Craig. Um, probably much more than I can fully capture in a response. Um, one of the there are multiple challenges that the church faces today, uh, too innumerable uh, for us to discuss in in the time that we have allotted. Um, one of one of the challenges of the church fundamentally is for the church to be the church. That is for the church to remain. Uh, distinctive from any other organization, any other entity in the entire world. Uh, the church, uh, by definition, the ecclesia in the Greek is the called out community. And uh, the pervasiveness of the current cultural climate um, is challenging for the church to the extent in which, in some respects, uh, the church in the 21st century in America now finds itself in a similar context to that of the early church in the first century, where people are basically uh, living the way they want to live, doing what they want to do. Um, God may or may not be uh, significant for them in their lives. Uh, yes, families are being impacted by any number of things these days. And uh, the global pandemic that we've just uh, begun to come through um, with COVID-19 has certainly thrust the church into a new hybrid existence. Whereas the church um, pre-COVID historically had been a church that you drive to, that you go to physically, um, and that was the only option, the global pandemic has thrust the church into a more hybrid existence where people now have the option, thanks to technology, to be able to attend church in person or to be able to attend church virtually. And in some respects, that's been great, particularly through the pandemic, when we were having to shelter in place. Uh, people did not have to be totally disconnected even though they were dislocated, so to speak. Um, they were still able to be connected to church. They were still able to be fed the gospel. They were still able to worship. They were still able to have Bible study. And in some instances, even still able to have small groups. Coming through the pandemic, now our challenge is twofold. One, to get those that can physically attend church to return to church as they had pre-pandemic. And then secondly, for us to learn how to disciple people virtually who may not be able to ever uh, set foot in the local church. For example, our church now is uh, viewed every week in about 40 countries, maybe a little bit more around the world. And so, uh, they faithfully attend virtually. And then there are others uh, within the United States who have been drawn to our ministry that because of their geographical location, um, our church is inaccessible to them from a physical perspective. So a part of the challenge of the post-pandemic church is how do we disciple people virtually that will never daunt the doors of our church physically. And I could go on and on about the challenges of the church um, during this time. I'll just throw this in for free. Um, we have to really be careful that we do not allow social distancing during the pandemic to be perpetuated into social distancing post-pandemic. We do have to be very vigilant um, and be very intentional about understanding who we are as human beings and who we are as the church. Human beings were made for fellowship. And so when, when God created the entire world and all of the animals 
um, those that would fly, those that would walk, those that would swim. And then God looked around, decided to make man. And once he made man, he said, uh, I don't need man to be alone. So I need to make sure I make a woman. And humanity has always lived from the Garden of Eden in some form of fellowship and community. And when we become a part of the church, we become a part of the covenant community. Those who are bound together by a common bond in Jesus Christ, irrespective of their own personal and familial backgrounds, ethnicities, cultures, it's Jesus Christ that binds us together where we're able to find commonality with one another. And one of the glaring things that the pandemic exposed was how critical fellowship is to the life of the body of Christ. It's just like uh, your body cannot exist uh, properly, healthily, or at all if you are dismembered. So if you imagine a body that is dismembered where all of its parts are scattered they are no good on their own. They are at their best when they are all together. And one of the staples of the early church that made the church so powerful in the book of Acts and beyond is that they gathered together on a daily basis, on a regular basis to share in fellowship one with another. It's great to be able to worship by yourself and you should have a personal devotional life. You should have a personal worship uh, with God on a daily basis, but there is nothing like worshiping in person together with other people. Dr. Lee, before our time winds down, for folks that have been eavesdropping on our conversation today and say, you know, that that's the kind of church I want to be a part of, that that boldly proclaims the love of Jesus Christ, that stands for truth, that believes in a solid exegesis of the scripture and that is engaged in the community and making a difference and growing right where planted. Boy, I want to find out more. Just take a moment, if you would, Dr. Lee, and give us a little bit of a snapshot of of the life and ministry and what God is doing in Northern California through Mount Calvary. Well, first of all, um, you can connect with us through our website and through social media. Um, You can find us at the same address on all platforms, mcbcfs.org. That's our website. That's our social media for Facebook, for Twitter, and for Instagram. And you can find out more information. You can follow us. We post things from time to time that we're doing in the community, as well as things that are going on in our church. And you can stay up to date as well as you can follow us even on YouTube for our worship experiences in addition to our our website. And um, you can be a part, even virtually, and hopefully if you're in Northern California, if you're in the Bay Area, we would love for you to physically come and share with us at any of our services. Um, God continues to grow our church. We are, like many churches, um, continuing to rebuild uh, after the pandemic, and people are beginning uh, to come back to church in good numbers um, at our church physically, in addition to our uh, virtual presence. So we have hybrid services. We have hybrid Sunday school classes, and we're going to begin some uh, hybrid discipleship classes soon enough, probably in the fall. In the meantime, we'll be beginning uh, some in person. And uh, we continue to go out into the streets and witness literally under bridges, in parks, uh, in communities. We continue to to partner with Habitat for Humanity to help build homes uh, for people um, that are receiving uh, their first homes. Uh, we continue to uh, give um, food to families every week, clothes to, to families every week. We continue to do missions in Haiti and in Ghana and in other parts across the world. We continue to partner with the Red Cross in disaster relief, uh, in various experiences across the country and the world. In that regard, we just uh, partnered um, with the um, the Mississippi General uh, Baptist State Convention as they helped people in Jackson, Tennessee, a few months ago with their water crisis. Jackson, Mississippi, excuse me, in their water crisis. Um, so we do things like that all the time. In addition to you know having a children's church and ministering to all ages, 
um, creating small groups, having dynamic worship experiences, dynamic Bible study, and a whole lot more. Um, and there's plenty of room, plenty of room for everyone to come and to be a part of what God is doing and, and to contribute as well through their own uh, talents and their own prayers and their own worship. A very uh, broad and vibrant body of Christ and faith community. More information, as uh, Dr. Lee mentioned, by going online, uh, think of Mount Calvary Baptist Church, Fairfield Sassoon. That'll take you to the initials, mcbcfs.org. Services both held in person as well as online, if it's more convenient for you. Uh, we encourage you to join in fellowship. A couple of campus locations, details again available on the web at mcbcfs.org. Let me also just remind everyone that we're on radio. Every Saturday at 11 a.m. on KDYA, 1190 a.m., The Light. We've been on the air for about 25 years or so and uh, love the relationship that we have with the station. So for those of you that like to listen to the radio, we would love for you to tune in any Saturday morning at 11 a.m. on 1190 a.m. And we certainly do encourage you to tune into the radio broadcast and join in live fellowship again at Mount Calvary Baptist Church. Our thanks to Dr. Claibon Lee Jr. for being with us today. Thank you so much for your time today, Pastor. Thank you so much, Craig. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16, I want to read today out of the King James Version of God's Holy Word. Thank you. Y'all did so much better than the early crowd. There were just a few folks that said, yeah, amen. When I said I was going to read from the King James Version, because I don't preach from it as much as I did when I was younger, uh, the 7 o'clock crowd almost shouted. They said, oh, woo. I said, what y'all trying to say when I don't preach the King James Version? I'm not preaching the Bible? What's going on in here? God be pr- I'll tell you one day about some of the challenges with the King James. I'll tell you one day if you haven't been in my Bible studies. But every now and then, you just got to go back to what you were raised on because it it just works just a little bit better. All right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I've asked the Holy Ghost to anoint me afresh and ask you to pray with me and for me for just a few moments today. And I want to talk to you today from the very heart of God. And I want to tag this text with this title. This is how much. This is how much. This is how much. I ask you to keep your Bibles open and do your best not to go to sleep. I don't want you to accuse me of making anything up. This is how much. Story is told about a Sunday school class that was gathering at church with children. And as the teacher began teaching, he began to teach the children about the love of God. He helped them to understand that God is love. He taught them that the way you can know that you really love God is by the way you love other people the same way that God loves you. He continued on to teach them and help them to understand 
that God expects us to be like God and be loving and be kind one to another. And he just kept talking about the love of God. And he started telling the children over and over, God loves you. He would say a few things and then he'd say, God loves you. He would say a few more things and say, God loves you. After a little while, the children were convinced that God loved them, but they had a pressing question. And so one of the children put their hands up very excitedly and said, teacher, I have a question. He said, what's your question? You said that God loves me, but my question is, how much? And so the teacher said, well, how much do you think God loves you? And one child said, oh, does he love me this much? Put their hands close together. He said, no, he loves you more than that. Another child put their hand up. He said, okay, how much does he love you? Does he love me this much? She put her hand out a little bit broader than the previous student. Then another student put up his hand. He said, I I know how much he loves me. Does he love me this much? And his hands went out wider. And then another young lady put her hands up and she said, does he love me this much? And then the tallest student in the class said, I know, I know he loves me this much. And he put his arms out as far as he could. And the teacher said, no, he loves you more than that. And so they said, well, well, since you're bigger than us and you're taller than us and your arms are longer than us, stretch your arms out as far as they can go. He did it. And then they said, does he love us this much? He said, no, he loves you more than that. They said, well, how much does he love us? He said, let's turn in our Bibles to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. On this Resurrection Sunday, somebody may not have more than a religion about God instead of a personal relationship with God. You may have heard that God loves you, but your question is just like the question that those children in that Sunday school class had. How much does he love me? And I've come by on assignment from God today to inform some and to remind others how much God loves you. God loves you so much that God sent you and me, his son, Jesus. Now, if I was one of the children and I said that much, that would be good enough for a Sunday morning Easter speech. Because that really is the crux of this message today. That God loves you so much that God sent you and me, his only begotten son, Jesus. Unfortunately, some of us who knew that already are no longer moved by that. And some of us who didn't really know that are still begging for more explanation to validate the truth of that. And so let me help to answer this question for you through the word of God. How is it that God loves us this much? How is there proof that I can count on evidence that God really loves me more than I can ever begin to estimate? Well, here it is. If your Bible's open and you're not going to sleep, I promise I won't make anything up. The first proof of how much God loves you is this. Jesus came to demonstrate God's love for you. Jesus came to demonstrate God's love for you. Jesus came to demonstrate God's love for you. Jesus came because he was sent by God and from God to be a demonstration of the love of God so that people could have a relationship with God. Yeah. 
God sent his son. The Bible says in your Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, you've got to understand the backdrop of this. John chapter 3 is where Jesus has a visit in the middle of the night by a fellow who was religious. The problem was that this man, though religious, didn't have a relationship. I wonder who God is already talking to today. Who's religious? You go to church. You've been going to church since you were younger. You believe that there is a God, but the problem is that you have a religion, but you don't have a relationship. And this fellow by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and asked him, how can I be born again? And Jesus started to talk to him about how he could be born again, how he had to be born of the spirit and not just of the water. And he gave him, since he was religious, an Old Testament point of reference from the life and ministry of Moses and said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man will be lifted up. And those that look at him, just as they looked at the serpent, will live and have everlasting life. And then he would go on and say, this is the nutshell, Nicodemus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to keep at it. Stay with me. For God so loved. So then he, he says to Nicodemus, this is how much God loves you. He sent Jesus. He sent me for you. Yeah, because that word so speaks to the enormity of God's love. You see it in your Bible? It doesn't say God loved. It says, for God so loved. That little old word, so, implies the expanse of God's love, how immeasurable God's love is, how incalculable the reality of God's love is. And when you have no other means of measuring how much God loves you, all you have to do is look at Jesus and look at the hill called Calvary and then look at the empty tomb and you'll have evidence of how much God loves you. Now, here's the thing you got to understand, church. When he says, for God so loved, this word love here is not a noun, it's a verb. Most of us know the word agape, that's the noun, but agapao is the verb. And when he says, for God so loved, he's saying that God did what verbs do. Verbs show themselves in action. Yeah. God did not want to simply tell you that he loved you. God said, let me show you that I love you. In other words, the greatest expression of love is never going to be something limited to feeling. If you're in a relationship with anybody right now, I don't care what the nature of the relationship it is, and they say that they love you, don't base their love's validity on how they make you feel. Because your feelings will fool you. And sometimes they can be such good shysters and such good chameleons that they can make you feel some stuff or think you're feeling some stuff that is really not a fact. Ah, but if you pay attention to how they treat you, if you pay attention to how they care for you, if you pay attention to their actions, if you pay attention to their care and their concern, their actions will demonstrate how much they really love you. Come here. I know you love your boo and your bae loves you. I know you think your life was changed once you met your boo and once you met your bae because they just love you and you just love them and they just make you feel so good and you just make them feel so good and you can't imagine your life without them. But I've come by to elevate your level of expectation and understanding to understand that there is a love greater than your boo and your bae. There's a love that's greater than your mamas and your daddies. There's a love that's greater than big mama and papa. It's the love that comes from God because God's love has no conditions. Now I was really going to take it easy and coast at this service 
Orlando, but I might as well go on and preach a little bit. I might as well get in somebody's Kool-Aid. Yeah, so some of y'all say you love folks, but as soon as they mess with somebody else, you fall out of love. Some of y'all love folks as long as they're doing what you want the way you want, but when they don't do what you want the way you want, you don't love them no more. God's love has no conditions. God says, I love you when you're right. I love you when you're wrong. I love you when you're honest. I love you when you're dishonest. I love you when you're scandalous. I love you when you're sweet. I've got a love for you. As a matter of fact, you didn't do anything to earn my love. I decided to love you before I ever made you, and so there's nothing you can do after I make you to change the way I felt before I made you and therefore I'm sending my son as an ocular demonstration of how much I love you. And somebody ought to get glad on Resurrection Sunday morning that God's love is not capricious, that God's love is not fickle and flimsy and flaky and sometimey and conditional. It's not based upon your ethics, not based upon your morality, not based upon your values, not based upon your conduct, not based upon your behavior, but it's based upon God's character. It's based on God's decision. To love you no matter what. You ought to look at somebody on your road, tell them he loves me no matter what. Yeah. No matter what. And you know he loves you because he gave. The Greek word for, for gave here is a word that suggests. The sharing of something that is most precious. The sharing of something that is most valuable. In other words, when God wanted you to know how much God loves you, God did not haphazardly choose Jesus. He looked nowhere else except to Jesus. Because Jesus is the best that God could ever offer you because Jesus is the earthly expression of the heavenly father. That's why it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I don't bother you with too much Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic from the scriptures unless it's really significant. And it's significant this time because the word in the Greek for only begotten is monogenes. Monogenes. Mono, you know, only singular. Genes means one of a kind. And so when it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, what it's saying is, is that there's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody equal to Jesus. There's nobody comparable to Jesus. There's nobody superior to Jesus. There's nobody that can trump Jesus. There's nobody that's superior or better than Jesus. So when God sent Jesus for you, he was demonstrating that he loves you so much, he's not going to give you a photocopy. He's not going to give you anything that's less than the one of a kind original. Come here. Come here. You can tell how somebody loves you by the gifts they give you. <laughs> come on now. I was, I was really going to take it easy. I really was. But y'all go fool around and make me come get you here. Because y'all trying to act sedity on an on a Easter Sunday. And I know some of y'all has been a little while since you've been in so you, you got to get warmed up. So let me help you here. Yeah, you you can tell a lot about how somebody loves you by the type of gift that they give you. They fool around and give you some wilted flowers. It doesn't matter how many dozens they are. If those jokers are wilted, they're making a statement about how much they think of you. They figure you ought to just be happy to get some roses even if they're wilted. But if they're tight, and if they have a pleasant aroma, yeah, and if the stem is strong, 
And if the petals are firm and pretty, you know that they took some time to pick the best bouquet they can find because they believe you are the best, so you deserve the best, and they won't give you anything less than the best, and that's the way God feels about you. He said, I'm not going to give you secondhand. I'm not going to give you leftovers. I'm going to give you nothing but my best. And my best is found in my only begotten son. God doesn't have any other children like Jesus. Ain't nobody else like Jesus. Yeah, we become God's children, but but Jesus is the only one he begot. The only one that is of the same essence as God the Father. That's why he's the demonstration of God's love for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but he gave you the best for a reason. So that, I'm walking through your Bible, are you? Huh? I'm tiptoeing through the tulips of the text. I don't have Jordans on today, I got Converse on today, is it all right? He says, listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. The reason he gave you his best is because if you believe in him, you will not perish. You can't qualify for God's love. All you can do is receive or reject God's love. And if you receive God's love by believing in God's son, he says you will not perish. You will not experience spiritual Separation. Yeah. You won't perish. You won't go to hell. That you'll live on this earth and then you'll live forever with God. Oh, that's good news, church. That you will not perish. Yeah, because you know what? You know what hell is? I believe that hell is a place, but I also believe hell is a state. I believe it's a place, but I also believe it's a state. And I believe the state of hell is to be eternally separated from God. Excuse me, but I'm having a flashback. I just celebrated 39 years of preaching. I started preaching at 16 years old as a junior at Army O High School. And my first sermon was from Luke chapter 16 entitled, The Tragedy of a Wasted Life. Where the text talked about a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man was so self-absorbed that he wouldn't even give the poor man crumbs from his table. And the Bible says when he died in hell, he lifted up his eyes. And the way the story goes is that it gives the image of him being in hell, but being able to see the poor man in heaven, but he couldn't get over to where the poor man was. And even if the poor man had compassion on him, the poor man couldn't have gotten over to where the rich man was in hell because the rich man was eternally separated. What you don't want is you don't want to be eternally separated from God. And all you have to do to change that narrative is simply believe. Yeah. You will not perish but have everlasting life, life that will never end. This is how much he loves you. He sent Jesus. And Jesus came to demonstrate God's love for you. But can I tell you something else? Jesus, according to verse 17, did not come to damn you. Jesus did not come to damn you. Let me show it to you in your Bible. See, many of us grew up in church memorizing John 3.16, but equally if not more powerful is John 3.17 and John 3.18. Because then he goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you see that in your Bible? Please keep your Bible open. Do your best not to go to sleep, I promise. I won't make anything up. Jesus did not come to damn you. The word for condemn here is a word that we get the word judge from. 
and it carries with it the idea of judging and sentencing a person to a particular punishment that they deserve. Did you catch it? Judging and sentencing someone to a particular punishment that they deserve. Can I just say to you for free that the Bible is clear in Romans chapter number three, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, Jesus, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus didn't come to damn you, to condemn you. It's too many people that are Christians that walk around scared, apprehensive and paranoid, thinking that God is such a mean God that he's going to strike you with lightning anytime you say, think, or do the slightest thing wrong. Jesus didn't come to judge you for your behavior. He didn't come to put you down and damn you because of your unrighteousness. No, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. It's in your Bible. Y'all don't know when to shout. Okay. One more time. God. Didn't send Jesus to damn you, to condemn you, to write you off as worthless because of the ugliness of human sin. Rather, God sent Jesus to save you and the entire world. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah, yeah. That's why y'all not writing anybody off. Because you never know what God is doing to save them. It was, on, it was on January the 6th in 1850 that a snowstorm almost crippled the city of Colchester, England. And on this particular Sunday, a teenage boy who was used to going to church wasn't able to get to his church. So he ended up visiting a primitive Methodist chapel. And because of the snowstorm, the pastor of that church was unable to to get through the snow to get to church. And so one of the laymen in the church was on to give the message. And he read from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, where it says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And he didn't have a whole lot to say, so he just kept on saying the same thing. Now this young man who had come from a Christian family had been struggling and been miserable because he was under deep conviction of God. This lay preacher just kept on saying, look unto me and be ye saved. And then he said, you don't have to go to college to learn how to look. (laughs) Then he said, you can be a child and you can know how to look. Then he saw this young teenage boy over in the congregation visiting. He looked at him and he said, young man, you look miserable. Look at Jesus. And be saved. And at that moment, that young man experienced salvation in a personal way, gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he would go on to become one of the most celebrated preachers in modern Christendom. His name is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who pastored one of the largest mega churches in London, England, for years before we even knew the term mega churches. All because he heard a word that encouraged him to look to Jesus and live. I read a story about a junkyard specialist. Junkyard specialist was one who would take junk and make something out of it. This particular junkyard specialist was much better than Fred G. Sanford. Because Fred G. Sanford would get a whole lot of junk, but wouldn't do anything with it. This particular junkyard specialist's name was Billy Taylor. And Billy Taylor specializes in taking things that others throw away as worthless and invaluable and turning them into works of art. Billy takes junk 
And he begins to work on them and he begins to turn them into art pieces that sell for upwards of $5,000 a piece. All because he was willing and able to take something that looked worthless and shape it into a masterpiece that could be desirable for many people. Well, you may have felt worthless before you heard about Jesus, but the reason God sent you here today, the reason you logged on today is because he wants you to know that even if you were in the junkyard of life, he looked at you. And when others wrote you off as worthless, when others said you never would be anything because your daddy wasn't anything and your granddaddy wasn't anything and your uncles and them wasn't anything, when they wrote you off and told you that you would never be nothing because your mama ain't nothing and your granny ain't nothing and your aunties ain't nothing, when that guidance counselor told you that you don't need to go to college because you ain't never going to be nothing and you don't have what it takes, that you had a God that was looking down from heaven that said, I'm not going to condemn you for what you lack but I'm going to take you where you are without leaving you where you are and I'm going to show the world what kind of specialist I am and how my love can transform a life and make it into a masterpiece and I don't know about you but that's my testimony today I thank God that he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs I thank God that he looked at a worthless life and saw worth in it that when he put his love on me he can make me into something that he would be pleased with. He didn't come to damn you. He didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to beat you down. He came to lift you up. All you have to do is believe. Here's the final thing and I'm done. This is how much (laughs) that God sent Jesus To demonstrate God's love for you. This is how much that God did not send Jesus to condemn you. (laughs) But finally, this is how much God loves you. That he sent Jesus who came to deliver you from self-condemnation. Jesus came to deliver you from self-condemnation. Condemnation. Here it is. Just keep your Bible open for just four and a half minutes. Are you ready? Here it is. Verse number 18. Look at what it says. It says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed. In the name of the only begotten Son of God. Stay with me. I just need to press this and I'll let you go. You want to know how much God loves you? God loves you so much that he sent Jesus, listen, to deliver you from you. Is your Bible open? The word says that whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever believeth not in him is condemned already and it's their fault. Because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. (laughs) You know what this verse reminds us and teaches us, church? It reminds us and informs others of us that it is not what people do that condemns them. Rather, it is what people won't do and don't do. That condemns them. I'll say it two more times. Because you got to get this. It is not what people do that condemns them. It's what people won't do and don't 
do that condemns them. One more time. It's not what people do. It's what people won't do and don't do that condemns them. See, there are too many self-righteous folks and religious folks in the church and or associated with the church that have gotten the truth twisted. And so they go around, I know none of you would ever do this, but they go around condemning people for their behavior. And they say, because you doing this, you going to hell. And because you doing this, God's going to get you. And because you doing this, that, and the third, that's a shame. You ought to be ashamed of yourself walking around, judging someone else for a speck in their eye when the person judging has a beam in their own eye. Walking around as peacocks of self-righteousness trying to condemn people because of what they do. But according to my Bible and according to what the word of God says, says uh, people are not condemned because of what they do. They are condemned because of they won't do and because of what they don't do because they won't believe. Listen, listen, I'm going to say something that might be controversial. I'm just going to go there right quick on my way out of here. I'm just going to go there right quick. Can I go there right quick? Uh, uh, You ain't going to hell because you slept with somebody that wasn't your spouse. You ain't going to hell because you lied. Andrew, they weren't ready for me. You ain't going to hell because you cheated. You're not going to hell because you smoked some weed. You're not going to hell because you had some Hennessy. You're not going to hell because you were gangbanging. You're not going to hell. For all the reasons that the religious folks say you go to hell, the only way you'll go to hell is if you won't and don't believe that Jesus is God's son. Because if you believe he's God's son, he can deliver you from hoeing. He can deliver you from snorting. He can deliver you from lying. He can deliver you from cheating. He can deliver you from backstabbing. He can deliver you. Because he didn't come to condemn you in the first place. All you need is to believe. Somebody just shout believe. Some people say, I can't believe in a God that will condemn somebody to hell. And I say, me either. Because brother and sister Jones, my God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent and be saved. He didn't waste his time sending Jesus just so that folks could die without a relationship with him as their God. He sent Jesus so that they might be saved. So if anybody does go to hell, here's the notice. It's because they wouldn't believe in Jesus, God's only begotten son. If the doctor tells you that you have a condition, this is the medicine you need so you can live. And you decide you won't take the medicine. Like some people with pre-existing conditions did during COVID and didn't want the vaccine. If you die after the doctor told you about your problem, and told you what could keep you alive so the problem wouldn't destroy you, and you wouldn't do what the doctor said, it ain't the doctor's fault. Excuse my grammar. Not supposed to use ain't in proper grammar. (laughs) Jesus makes it plain that he came to deliver us from self-confidence.
condemnation. And I'm going to close. I want to hoop and holler and celebrate and dance and run around the church, but I've already done that all weekend. And so I'll just let you do it if you're led to do it. But Paul says, listen, Paul says, if you fool around and believe, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says, oh, King James again, thou shalt be saved. The Bible also says in Romans 10 and 10, for with the heart we believe and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Somebody says, well, how is somebody going to get saved? How are they going to believe if they don't hear? And that's why Paul said, well, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can the preacher preach except the preacher be sent? And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then Paul would go on to say in Romans chapter 8, there There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You want to know how much? Here it is. I know you've been waiting on it. I've been talking about it the whole sermon and you missed it. You want to know how much God loves you? This is how much. Jesus went to Calvary. To save a wretch like you and me. That's love. (laughs) They hung him high. They stretched him wide. Y'all didn't know the choir was preparing you for the sermon, did you? He hung his head. For me, he died. That's love. But that's not how. The story ends three days later. He rose again. That's love. So the next time you wonder whether or not God loves you, just take a look at the empty cross and the empty tomb and you'll be reminded of how much God loves you. God loves you so much that God would give everything for you. And there are times when you experience that love where you still may feel unworthy. And even if you feel unworthy, then pause to still embrace the reality of God's love. I like the way Andre Crouch did it. He said, how can I say thanks? Rather, I don't know. Excuse me, another song. He says, I don't know why Jesus loves me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad. I'm glad he did. He kept thinking about it. He said he left his mighty throne in glory to bring to us redemption's story. Then he died, but then he rose again. Oh, but I'm glad. So glad he did. And this is my favorite line in the song. He says, where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? Where would I be if Jesus didn't care? Where would I be if he hadn't sacrificed his life? Oh, but I'm glad. I'm so glad he did. God sent me to remind some of you and to inform others of you that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to prove how much he loves you. The question is, Will you receive or reject God's love? All you have to do to receive it is simply believe that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross for your sins and who rose from the grave for your victory and you will be saved. Dr. Claybon Lee, Jr., Senior Pastor of Mount Calvary Baptist Church of Fairfield and Sassoon City. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. 
While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.